What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchuk, alongside Stephen Trinkwald, as always. And Stephen, regular season's over. It's done. Uh, it, 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 it came and went very quickly because uh, condensed season and everything like that. And we are, the playoffs are set. WNBA playoffs are set. We're just going to talk about the first round matchups here. There are two games coming up on Tuesday. How are you feeling about this? I'm feeling good. Uh, the regular season was fun. It somehow seemed like uh, an endless sprint. Um, you know, it yeah. came and went so quickly, but it seemed like there was always, you know, three games on the schedule, uh, of course, with uh, the condensed season and, and everyone playing every other day. But uh, happy to be talking about playoff basketball, for sure. Yeah, playoff basketball. You, you kind of wonder how things are going to be different. You know, the regular season was obviously different as far as, you know, there's always the the talk of how many minutes are you going to give each player? You know, are you going to go for it? Or are you going to, you know, rest them? But now everyone's going for it. You know, we, of course, have these uh, single game elimination rounds, first off. Uh, not sure how you feel about it. I, I don't really like it, but uh, those are the rules. So, so I, I, if I can just go on a quick yeah. tangent here, I think I think like the the single elimination is fine. I think for like the opening round of the playoffs, and maybe if we could get to best of three in the second round, that would be a little bit better than having the that first week by um, still have to deal with a, a single elimination game. That makes sense to me. Like like kind of increase the the amount of basketball as the teams get weeded out. That's that would work. Um, but let's 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 save that for a season that isn't so chaotic. Um, yeah, for sure. So first off, we have the uh, the Phoenix Mercury versus Washington Mystics. Phoenix, the fifth seed. Washington Mystics, the eighth seed. As of just minutes ago, um, we had to wait until the literally the last game of the regular season for this to be decided. Washington just kind of snuck in there past Dallas and Atlanta. Um, Washington had a uh, well, we weren't really sure what was going to happen with them. I think we were both pretty low on them uh, entering the season. We were kind of just like, well. What's the worst that could happen? They're going to shoot a lot of threes. Their defense might be not not be too good, and they snuck in there, right? You know, you, you have here uh, uh, as a result of the uh, the protests that were going on a couple of weeks ago. These teams actually played a quote unquote home and home against each other in consecutive games in late August. That was pretty interesting. Um, Phoenix won both the games. First one was pretty close. Second one not so close. Uh, but Phoenix they had some changes mid season, right? Brittany Griner left the bubble for personal reasons. Rhea Hartley, of course, she was on a six-woman-of-the-year campaign, but she unfortunately tore her ACL shortly thereafter. And uh, what do you think about Phoenix, man? They really turned things around. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how sustainable it is. Um, you know, their defense, I think, is playing maybe a little bit better than some would think. You know, I think they've been sixth in the league since Griner left, um, fueled largely by uh, Brianna Turner, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously DT has been going crazy and it feels like every night, you know, if you're not getting both Skylar Diggins-Smith and Tarasi just absolutely going off, you're at least getting one of them having a, a great night. So they've been right. really fun the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I feel like they've just been more watchable. No? I mean, no, they're, they're just... 100%. As someone who like really does appreciate like how dominant Brittany Griner is, you know, this version of like just how they play and, and what's kind of happening in their offense and that level of effort they're giving on defense uh it, it's been a big upgrade and it makes you appreciate diana Tarazi more as well i mean she's 38 years old and once once the offense became more guard centric it, it really just reminded you how great of a playmaker she is and how deadly of a shot a uh, shooter she is you know i mean pulling up for these 30 footers from the logo i mean it's there's only one dt and it's it's nice to see she can, she can still do that so um take us through this matchup here what do you uh, what do you see as far as you know defense offense we have the, like I said, the history favors, recent history favors Phoenix, but uh, what do you think? Washington yeah. kind of snuck what, in there. What side of the ball do you want us? And one thing just quickly about Washington getting into the playoffs, it's amazing that they ended up finishing the season better defensively than offensively, huh? Finished seventh in the league on defense and 10th on offense. This is a, a team that we both thought like was going to be able to, you know, score a lot of points and just not stop anyone. And uh, they're not scoring any points and still can't <laughs> stop anyone. That's interesting. Um, I think we saw... Recently, we both saw a couple things from uh, Washington on defense that we didn't really like, which I'm sure we will address uh, in this episode because it really pertains to Phoenix's offense. Like I said, that guard-centric offense. But let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Phoenix, like I said, they're running basically everything through Skylar Diggins-Smith and Dinah Tarazi right now because they don't really have that many other players. Um, but as you said, they've both been playing very, very well. Yeah, for sure. And um, it it'll be interesting to see kind of where 
Phoenix, Phoenix decides to attack. You know, this is something we talked about extensively last week and that great Dallas-Washington game that looked like it was kind of going to seal things for, for Dallas to make the playoffs. And obviously Washington has uh, been on fire uh, since then. But, you know, Arike Agumbawale, like time after time, late in the game particularly, um, Washington wants to switch everything in the pick and roll, and Arike mm. just was completely eating against Emma Misamin. And, you know, I think we saw that a little bit today uh, in Washington's clinching game against Atlanta. You know, they were still continuing to switch, and Atlanta wasn't quite able to take advantage the way Arike did. But, you know, Tarasi and uh, Diggin Smith are, are different monsters, and, and they're definitely going to, I think, attack those matchups. That's one thing I was actually going to say the same thing. And this is kind of what I was alluding to when I said we saw things from Washington defensively that we didn't like. Um, when they switch like this and leave Emma Miesemann out on an island against a really explosive scoring guard like that, and, and Phoenix has two of them, and they are hogging the usage right now because, like I said, not many players. So I have to wonder if they're not going to change things up defensively, like if they're not going to try to blitz the pick and roll more often with, with Miesemann or whoever's in it. Because you cannot, you cannot leave Diana Chirazi versus a post player, let alone Emma Mieseman out there. And Scott Diggins Smith is just going to go right around her, you know? Yeah, and that's something I was really going to um, mention as well. Like, I hope to kind of see a different strategy in this one-game winner-takes-all situation from Washington. That switching system, I just don't think it's going to work. Hopefully, they will, um, in pick and roll, go towards maybe, like you said, a blitzing or a trapping system to just get the ball out of those two players' hands and, and make – you know, Cunningham or Walker Kimbrough or someone else on the floor beat them because if you just, you know, play your traditional defense the way Washington has been playing and kind of what they want to do here, these two guards are, are absolutely going to eat. And, um, you know, Washington, in terms of just like allowing their opponents to get to the free throw line, they're, they're pretty average, but Phoenix is the number two team in the league getting to the line in terms of their free throw attempt rate. So, and that's driven, of course, largely by Diana Taurasi, who, you know, at this point in her career is pretty much taking as many trips to the free throw line as she is two-point uh, field goal attempts. And Skylar Diggins-Smith, as well as Brianna Turner, also very, very effective getting to the line. So, um, you know, Ariel Atkins, she's a great defender. She doesn't really fall too much. Um, who, where do you think Washington should, like, start on Atkins? Do you think that should be an assignment for uh, Tarasi, for Diggins-Smith? Do you think they should play her off you know, that third perimeter player and just have her be a little bit more of a helper. What would you do with Atkins? Uh, I don't think you can afford to make her be a helper because Phoenix invests so much of their offense in that backcourt in Tarazi and in uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith. I mean, it goes back to what you've been saying all season. Like Atkins is, is very good and perhaps even better off the ball than she is on the ball. But in this case, I mean, it's win or go home. You have to put your best against your best, in, in my opinion. Yeah, you know? no, I, I agree with you completely. I think... In those starting lineups, I, I might go with Atkins on Skylar Diggins-Smith. You know, obviously, I think Tarasi is, is a better player, even still at this advanced age. But I think they just have a little bit better options for Diana Tarasi. Like, Jackie Gemelos is a, is a wing-size player. I mean, like, I guess that's what she's theoretically out there for, right, is her defense. Like, it's certainly not her. Certainly not her offense. Eh? She's out there for. So, you know, and then you can maybe hide Leilani Mitchell on a Shatori Walker-Kimbrough or mm -hmm. a Sophie Cunningham. Um, I mean, I think Atkins is, is definitely going to see some serious min minutes against both Diggins-Smith and Tarasi, but I think the other players around Atkins are a little bit better maybe suited for DT than they are for Diggins-Smith. So I think that's maybe where I would start with Atkins and see how it goes. Is it because Tarasi is not as big of a threat as getting to the rim as Diggins-Smith is? Yeah, and, and Diggins-Smith, you know, she just is is so quick, and I think – you know, even though she's not the, the biggest guard, I really think she, she would just like kind of put herself through a Leilani Mitchell or um, someone like that. And, she, you know, I think she just, like you're saying, Dagan Smith is just more likely, I think, to just kind of bust you down off the dribble and get all the way to the rim. Uh, and Diana Taurasi, you know, shooting about 60% of her field goal attempts come from um, behind the arc this season. Uh, I'm sorry. She has a 7-11 uh, three-point attempt rate. Now, that's a little slanted because like I said, like her free throw attempt rate is insane, but so much of what she's doing from the field is coming from um, behind the line, um, behind the three point line, but also seven and a half free throw attempts per uh, 36 minutes compared to four and a half, two point uh, field goal attempts. So if, if she's going in the line uh, inside the arc, like she's either going to get followed or 
um, you know, kick it out to somebody else. So that, that's, that's kind crazy. of crazy. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Insane. The modernization of her offense, like recently it's been trending in that direction, but this season has just been like literally just, just free throws at the rim or threes. Yeah. The, the per 36 minutes, I'll, I'll just go through one more time. 11 threes, four and a half twos and huh. seven and a half free throw attempts. So she's, like I said, she's pretty much getting to the line as frequently as she's taking two point uh, field goal attempts. So that's ridiculous. But you know, even so you don't want Leline. That's the thing. Like you can't have Leilani Mitchell out, out there guarding either of them, like pretty much at any cost. That's, it's a problem for Washington. Yeah. I mean, Diggin Smith, I, I think is um, just going to be able to, I don't think Mitchell's quite as fleet of foot to kind of hang with her. And then, you know, DT is just going to back her down and, and put her in the goal. So, uh, or just, you know, use her body kind of driving with her shoulder, not necessarily put her in the goal in terms of like a post up or something like that. But, um, you know, just use her strength to, to either leverage fall seeking behavior or, or get all the way to the rim or, you know, just force help and, and create for someone else. So, uh, but maybe that, that's what you do is you just put Mitchell on her and help immediately comes. And as we were kind of saying before with the pick and roll defense, you know, Make just someone force, else beat you. Yeah, force someone else to beat you. So, um, all right. Well, uh, this that's a pretty big disadvantage for Washington, like whichever which like whichever way you slice it. I think. What's their biggest advantage in this matchup? Would you say? Um, I would say you know Washington turns their opponents over pretty frequently. If, if we're still kind of focusing on Phoenix having the the ball uh, and Washington defending, you know Phoenix is right around average in terms of like turning it over, and Washington they turn opponents over third most in the league, but as we, we kind of know with this team, like Phoenix can be a little bit sloppy. Sometimes they, they get a couple possessions that don't go their way. They might throw a, an errand pass or something. Um, so I think, you know, Washington definitely has to turn Phoenix over in this game. And um, what, one thing I'm going to be very, very interested in seeing is like how often Phoenix is able to get out in transition. So they are in terms of efficiency, they've been the number one team in transition, efficient, in, in transition efficiency this year but only ninth in frequency and Washington has allowed the second lowest transition frequency. But when they do allow their opponents to get out and run their 11th um, in, in efficiency. So I'm sorry, I might've said uh, efficiency the first time, but second lowest frequency for Washington 11th in efficiency. So, so when teams are able to get out and run um, you know, they're scoring very effectively and Washington in their transition defense, they're seeing a huge jump uh, from their, normal kind of field goal percentage to their adjusted field goal percentage, which accounts for, you know, how much value your three-point shooting is bringing for bringing uh, either up or down, depending on, you know, if you're an offense or defense and, you know, nobody in the the league really is kind of up there more than Diana Taurasi in terms of like her differential between her field goal percentage and her adjusted field goal percentage in transition. She shoots 58%, which is amazing in itself. And then, uh, 77% when you adjust for her <laughs> shooting behind the arc. So if she's able to like get those pull up twos, uh, those pull up threes, excuse me, that we all know that she wants to take. And if she's, if the team as a whole, you know, Diggin Smith as well, cause she's, she's right there in terms of um, volume, in terms of getting to getting out in transition. She wants to do it a little bit differently, of course, get all the way to the rim, but you know, if Phoenix is able to really get out and run. Um, we'll, we'll see if they're able to or not, but that's going to be a huge kind of determining factor. I was going to ask you how much of this Phoenix transition offense is just DT pulling up from way, way outside and, and, and canning it. Oh yeah. It's huge. But Diggin Smith actually, I think is a, a slightly ahead just in terms of like raw, like number of possessions in transition. Um, so it, it's either Diggin Smith getting all the way to the rim or, or DT pulling up on those threes and either one is, is a pretty deadly option for you. So, um, but kind of related to that, you know, I don't want to really focus on Phoenix's defense too much yet, but you know, they um, have really been kind of like in the bottom four in the league in terms of turning other teams over. You know, we just talk, talked about how much Washington turns other teams over, but uh, Washington up until this point, offensively, you know, they had been kind of in the bottom four uh, in turnovers since the Ariel Powers injury, who's kind of like their one player who's going to drive all the way to the, the rim and, um, you know, not too much of a high turnover player there. So since her injury, they are in the the bottom four but today in this kind of clinching game one total turnover so it'll wow. be interesting to see if phoenix will be able to turn them over and get out in transition or if they're going to have to rely on running off misses to get in transition 
you know, uh, one thing I think is is important to note here regarding Phoenix's transition game is uh, Brianna Turner, who's been really a revelation for them ever since Brady Griner left the bubble. I don't think either of us are very high on her heading into the season or even at the halfway point, but she's really turned herself into a defensive playmaker and high energy type of player since Brittany Griner left. She's really come in her own. And you know, you don't think of Brandon Turner as like this big offensive threat, but she is someone who could also get up and down the floor, right? She is somebody who can get passes from a player like Diggins Smith or Tarazi and, and finish at the rim. Yeah, for sure. And I think her energy, like in these past few weeks, has been huge for uh, particularly in their transition offense, but like also as a, as a roller, like Brian, uh, Brie Turner has been in the 70th percentile scoring as a roller. And, you know, Washington has been pretty good statistically defending roles. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with like their switching defense doesn't really open that up too often. Or if it, it, if it does, it just doesn't get it, get categorized. Cause if you're switching, then, you know, the big is just kind of going down there and posting instead of rolling. Mm-hmm. But um, if Turner is able to kind of get out as a, a roller and kind of get downhill and, and finish, um, or as you were saying, get out in the half court, you know, um, I think she's going to have uh, the opportunities at least to have a really big game. And, you know, I definitely, while we're talking about it, I was going to save this for a little bit later, but um, you know, what do you think of kind of her against these two Washington bigs, uh, Heinz Allen and Misaman? Do you have a preference on kind of which one of those should guard Turner, who Turner should guard on that end um, and, and how effective that can be or either of those can be um you know i don't think this is a great offensive matchup for phoenix or i I mean i mean that to say is both of those bigs are gonna kind of play out on the perimeter or they like to play out on the perimeter of course i don't think maisha heinz allen should be shooting that many threes i mean it's it's just her face-up game right that's that's so deadly um i think i'd put brie turner on hmm i think i'd put her on heinz allen uh, because I think she's a more versatile defender than Kia Vaughn is. And Emma Miesemann, man, I don't know. She's, she just doesn't seem that explosive lately. I don't know what it is, but she just hasn't had that, that, that quick step that I'm used to her seeing. So I think even though Kia Vaughn is in her later years and, and probably not a very effective player on, on either end of the court anymore, I think she could at least be able to recover better against Miesemann than she would against Heinz Allen, who has just been – blowing past everybody off the dribble and, you know, making these, these counter moves in the post, uh, like fadeaway shots, going up strong with it as well. It's, she's, she's got the whole package. I think Bree Turner is just better equipped to defend against that. Yeah, and kind of before I really dove into it, like I was thinking this is for Washington's big, bigs. Like this is going to be an opportunity for them to eat, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it was, really wasn't the case. Misaman missed one of the, the games against Phoenix this year, but in the other one, she went one for 10 and – in terms of Heinz Allen, Turner was the primary defender uh, on her in a lot of these games. And Heinz Allen just was not really that good. Um, she was kind of able to get on the glass pretty well in, in the first matchup, three offensive rebounds and had two putbacks, one of which were on Turner. But in terms of like trying to post up or drive off the dribble, that face-up game that you were talking about, like Turner's length, and athleticism was just a problem, particularly in the first game. Um, she had her shot blocked five times in that game, three of which were by Turner, twice by Alana Smith, and she just wasn't really able to get any kind of advantage in the ways that we've seen her be successful this season. She was like a little bit better in uh, in one game where she went five for 11. Um, but even in that game, she was you know, two for seven around the rim and three for four on jump shots. And, you know, she got to the uh, free throw line a couple of times too. So uh, I think, you know, we both agree that Heinz Allen, if you're a defense, like you would prefer her beating you on jumpers than, yeah. than finishing inside. So, you know, I'm not really sure kind of how they get her going a little bit better, but uh, Bree Turner was extremely effective guarding her uh, in these first two matchups. I would say they could get her going by sending her on the offensive glass because Phoenix is – as usual, a very bad defensive rebounding team. That's just the rule. Like they have to be bad on defensive rebounding. Um, yeah, we're, we're still has been... in the league in defensive rebounding. We should say. Yeah, that's. But I how many rebounds did Bree Turner? Did she have a? Was that a twenty rebound game she put up the other night? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, so we'll see what happens. I think I wouldn't be surprised if Maisha Heinz Allen is able to go off in this one, 
because she's just such a skilled player and she can she can hurt you in so many different ways. Maybe maybe they put her in the pick and roll a little bit more. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope she, you know, rolls hard to the hoop. And I think that's been kind of the the differentiator for Heinz Allen when she's an effective pick and roll big and when she's not. Um, Heinz Allen, if you'll believe it, was in the ninth percentile as a roller this season offensively. Um, but that comes from just being a bad pick and pop player, you know, mm-hmm. five for 22 on pick and pop jumpers. <laughs> that's, that's really bad. Uh, but 10 for 15 rolling to the basket or slipping the screen. So um, if she actually rolls hard and, and doesn't try to kind of settle for that long two or, or mid range jump shot in the pick and roll, um, hopefully she'll be able to get some better looks, you know, Turner for all of her hype as uh, a potential defensive player, of the year candidate, you know, she was the number one big in terms of blocks this season. I don't really think of her as like this amazing pick and roll big with, with great instincts to be able to kind of do two different things at the same time, like guard the ball handler and keep in kind of contact with uh, her own assignment. Uh, Do you think that's unfair? No, it's not unfair. I I really don't know. I mean, it's been really cool to see her blossom as a defensive playmaker, but like that's, that's, that's what I, that's the key word playmaker. Yeah. She's not, she's not stout as a, as a rim protector or, you know, like a, like a, like a, lock down the paint like a Sylvia Fowles type of player. She is a player who I think can get in can get in foul trouble or just get physically outmatched if like if like pound for pound. Um it's about the activity for her. It's about the activity for her and doing her work early. And I think Heinz Allen is a player who if she takes her time and like you said rolls to the basket hard, she can still have the physical advantage over Bree Turner. Yeah, one other thing I'd like to see maybe from Heinz Allen is um, just getting out in the open floor a little bit more. You know, she is a very effective transition player. And we noted Phoenix has been better without Griner. But, you know, in my opinion, they're still a bit vulnerable to transition opportunities defensively, especially if, uh, you know, Tarasi doesn't get a call necessarily or something <laughs> along that. You know, it's it's just kind of one of those teams where a couple misses in a row and, and maybe they're um, taking a play or two off. So, you know, Washington was not a great, um, transition team eighth in frequency ninth in efficiency but I think there is an opportunity for Heinz Allen specifically to uh, take advantage there how about how about the free throw game because you have here Washington's a team that never gets to the free throw line but Phoenix is a team constantly putting their opponents at the free throw line so what do you think we'll give first here well what I would like to see you know without kind of really having a rooting interest like it's it's been disappointing to see how infrequently uh, the player that we were just talking about, Maisha Hines Allen, gets to the line. You know, given her game, yeah, um, she should be able and, to. You know, and her frame. Yeah, you would think that her free throw attempt rate is uh, would be much higher than than it really is. But you know, I think um, I think Washington is going to be able to kind of take advantage, uh, despite not really doing so over the course of the season. I think they're going to be able to get to the line a little bit more, um, particularly like uh, Ariel Atkins, Maisha Hines Allen. We were just talking about. Hopefully. Leilani Mitchell will be able to get some attempts for herself as well. Leilani Mitchell free throw attempts. I am here for it. Um, okay. So is there anything else you really wanted to hit on a lot? Like, like personnel wise, cause we talked a lot about Maisha Heinz Allen. We talked a lot about Ariel Atkins and the Phoenix backcourt. How about like the complimentary players for each team? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I'm not sh- I haven't seen anything in terms of health. Like, is Phoenix going to have their players available? Is Alana Smith going to play in this one? Is Sophie yeah, Cunningham going to play in this one? You know, they have been sh- so shorthanded. And in some regards, it's kind of worked to their benefit. But, um, you know, are they going to play a, a six-player rotation? If, if Alana Smith uh, is healthy, I think that would be a, a huge plus for them to be able to not – to be able to minimize time with Vaughn and – Turner on the floor together like that that's not a matchup for me that really works all that well and I think Smith can do okay against Washington's bigs Misaman probably in particular um if you are um Phoenix like what what are you doing in terms of guarding oh one thing I wanted to mention as I kind of get into this like Washington in my opinion is always going to have a player that Phoenix can hide Diana Taurasi on whether it's um Leslie or Gemelos. Yeah. yeah. So I think that is going to be a huge kind of um, boom for Tarasi and just her energy level. You know, neither of those players are really going to kill you from two point range. You know, Leslie can hit the three okay in, in her rookie season, but super low volume and, and Gemelos isn't really a threat from out there. So 
Um, I think that's going to be huge for, for GT to be able to, as she so often does, conserve her energy for the offensive end. That's a good way of putting it. Conserve her uh, energy. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, but, I mean, if you're, if you're Phoenix, do you just kind of play Mitchell um, and Atkins straight up with, with Diggins Smith and Cunningham, or are you cross-matching at all? Mm, I think, I, I think you've got to put Sophie Cunningham on the, on the larger player. Uh, like, like, I don't know. I think Diggins Smith would, would be okay. You know, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. She has been awful on defense this year, at least in my opinion. Like I don't have the updated metrics, but when I looked last, she was really not good on defense. Um, well, for me, yeah, you know, on-off splits. Oh, have you seen the, the on-off splits for, for, for Diggins Smith defensively? Uh, they're not good, but please tell me what they are. Okay. Um, when she's off the court, they are 20.6 points per 100 possessions better on defense. That's bad. Holy mackerel. Yeah. If you put okay. her like in any type of screening action, like it's. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Offenses are, are really doing her a favor when you're allowing her to just guard one-on-one. Because I think when she's just straight up guarding the ball handler, and this is something I was going to talk about if Dallas ended up making the playoffs. Like she was pretty good guarding Enrique Agumawale this year in, in two games. But where, where she's a disaster is anytime she's off the ball and anytime you set a screen, she's just going to die on the screen. Like, she's not going to get over it. She's, the big is going to have to kind of play two positions, essentially, defensively. I, I don't think she's all that terrible kind of just guarding her player, but any, anything beyond that, and it's been just bad. It's really difficult to have a, a backcourt in which neither player is really going to, I don't want to say give effort, but you know, you could put either of them in a pick and roll and it's just instantly a problem. So I think that's just about all I have on this one. What are your thoughts? Who, who do you expect to win? Um, I, I think we mentioned Phoenix's fifth in offense and Washington's seventh in defense. So Phoenix, you know, statistically has a little bit of advantage there. And then on the other end, you know, Washington 10th in offense and Phoenix is sixth in defense. So yeah, I just think for Washington, too much needs to go right offensively um whether that be like they're hitting their threes or my shines ellen not settling for bad shots whereas phoenix i mean like you said early when we were talking it's been e- at least one of diggins smith or Tarazi that's just been going off lately and i don't know if washington has enough horses on defense to just hold them both down for a full 40 minutes Tarazi in particular you know everyone will say like oh in, in winner take all games she's almost undefeated. I, I don't know. I forget what the number is by now, but it's pretty good. Um, and like we talked about again, if Phoenix can find something in this pick and roll offense versus an Emma Mieseman or versus like a Tiana Hawkins type of player, then they're just going to keep going to it because for, for all like their shortcomings on defense or whatever, both Diggins Smith and Shirazi, you do not want to see them in pick and rolls specifically when a big is on them. So I think the personnel matchups favor Phoenix, at least as far as because I don't think depth is as much of a concern here because it's it's one and done, you know. Like maybe during the regular season it was like okay Phoenix is trying to save people, Washington's trying to save people. There was a game where where Washington was was throwing like uh, Stella Johnson out there you know, before she got injured. Um, They're playing uh, Shug Sutton. Like I don't know if she's going to get any minutes because it's like I said it's winter go home. Um, Phoenix has the personal advantage. I expect them to win. Do you? Um, I do. You know, I don't really think Washington is going to be able to stop Phoenix unless they, as we talked about, really change kind of the scheme of their defense, uh, you know, switching everything on pick and rolls with these particular bigs and these particular guards for Phoenix, uh, bigs for Washington, I'm saying, and guards for Phoenix, like that's, that's asking for trouble. So if, unless we see a big schematic change, um, you know, I expect Tarasi, you know, unless Tarasi just really goes cold, right? There's the, mm-hmm. the chance that she just goes three for 17 from behind the line. It, it's not it's possible. I would expect, but both these teams, like they were third and fourth in the league, respectively, in three-point attempt rate. So when so much of both offenses are wrapped around the three-point line, there's a lot of variance there. So Washington could definitely just get some better shooting luck. You know, I don't think even though Washington was – only 10th on offense. Like, I don't think Washington uh, Phoenix can particularly stop this offense either. If things are really going well. And if they're playing their players, high minute totals, um, particularly, you know, the guards Atkins and uh, Leilani Mitchell, uh, hopefully, I mean, you know, Tiana Hawkins is, is of course like the best reserve 
uh, for Washington. So you can, I think, afford to give your, your bigs a little bit more of a, a breather, but you know, those two guards are going to have to play heavy, heavy minutes. Um, yeah. But overall, you know, I, as you were saying, I think um, Phoenix has a better team. They have better high end talent. Um, they've been, you know, both of these teams have been kind of on a roll lately. So, you know, if you believe in momentum, it's kind of going well for, for both of them. Um, I wouldn't like drastically favor Phoenix. Like, honestly, I could see Washington winning this game. Like they definitely have the coaching advantage. Um, I would not expect Mike Tebow to, to get outcoached. Uh, you know, I, I think he is a, a much better coach than Sandy Brandello. Um, makes just kind of better in-game adjustments, uh, has his players prepared better. They play harder than Phoenix does. Um, but I would still pick Phoenix. I think they're going to win this game and uh, go on to face uh, someone in the second round. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> someone. They will be facing someone if they win. Um, to your point, actually, what I, I wanted to say, uh, Phoenix has been hot. Um, I mean, they kind of cooled off recently. But during that, during that winning streak that they're on, I think they won six straight. Uh, much to much much to my chagrin as a Sky fan, because uh, we have their pick. Um, their strength of schedule is not that strong. You know, uh, they 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 beat Washington twice, but it's like uh, I could see Washington. Like to your point, Tarazi, it is possible she goes cold from three, and it is possible that Washington is so disciplined on offense where they're just able to keep swinging the ball around the perimeter and just wait for Phoenix to to make a mistake. I could see that. You know, because maybe Phoenix is tired. Maybe they they aren't able to get a lot out of their reserve, their reserve, uh, their role players. Sorry, and Sophie Cunningham and Alana Smith, and like the health is an issue. I don't know. Um, so like, I'd favor Phoenix, but only slightly because of that. What you said, high end talent. It's the playoffs. It's 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 win or go home. Like high end talent is, in my opinion, the determining factor in this one. But we'll see. Yeah, and I guess one other kind of subplot to at least briefly mention. You know, this is. Leilani Mitchell playing in the playoffs against ah, the revenge game played uh, for, for the last three years and, and for the last five, of course she did not have the season this year as, as she had last year, but she was probably overburdened um, offensively, but it'll be uh it'll be a fun one. You know, I, I definitely do think it could go either way. Like I don't expect this to be, you know, teams that are just on completely two different wavelengths in terms of like their, the level of talent, but I, I would expect Phoenix to, to pull it out. So are you saying Leilani Mitchell is not going to win most improved player again? <laughs> I wouldn't count it out. Maybe for <laughs> the third time in her career. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, moving on. Um, this is going to be the early game according to the schedule, which as we all know is 1000% impervious and uh, to error. Chicago sky versus Connecticut sun. This is the matchup we were hoping for here at the double down because it's my team against Steven's team. Uh, sky 12 and 10 sun 10 and 12. But the record is kind of misleading there, as Stephen has in his, in his very detailed notes. Two teams kind of trending in different directions. Kind of a, a, a tale of two halves for, for the season, for both of these teams, Stephen. Yeah, for sure. Connecticut, of course, started out one in six. Uh, just a brutal um, start to the season, just in terms of late game execution and a really tough schedule. Uh, but then on, went on an 8-5 run before dropping these last two games to end the regular season that I, I don't think they really put too much effort into. And uh, overall, 8-5 and five in, uh, in games that Brian January played in the lineup. You know, I, I think you had poked fun of me at one point in the season. You know, if you're waiting for Brian January to kind of turn things around, you're in trouble. But she really did. Like that, <laughs> she did, yeah. Her, her impact, uh, I think, goes beyond kind of, you know, it's cliche to say, and I hate kind of saying these kind of things, but I think her impact went really beyond what the box score would indicate. Like her shooting percentages were not very pretty. She did not score a lot of points, but just having her out there uh, for a number of reasons that we can get into in a little bit more detailed of a fashion. Um, she really made a difference for them. Um, and so, like I said, eight and five with Brian January in the lineup and their opponent, the Chicago sky started out the season 10 and four, looked great, had some really monster wins, uh, finished the season just two and six, including losses to the Liberty Mystics Ooh. in Dream. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very proud that this guy gave the Liberty 50% of their wins of this, on the season. Oh. Yeah, going two and 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, I, so I wanted to start with this. The last three games, they've kind of settled on the same. Uh, Chicago has settled on the same starting five with Hebert and Parker mm -hmm. as the two starting bigs. Would you, how, how has that looked so far for you? And would you expect them to continue that in this game? I mean, it's not ideal. I, I think at this point, Ruthie Hebert is still not, she's gotten better. Don't get me wrong. She's, 
she's is advertised. I mean, we we expected her to become to be a high like a, a a low usage, high efficiency type of player coming in, and that's pretty much what she's become. Yeah, um, who is going to absolutely kill it around the basket? Absolutely kill it. I believe she actually finished first in the league in field goal percentage. If I'm not wrong, um, I don't have that in front of me, but um. And of course, her and her and Courtney Vanderson would make a terrific tandem, as expected. But in this matchup, I'm not really sure how she's going to excel because Alyssa Thomas at the floor is just a tremendous problem. Ruthie Hebert is not going to stretch the floor. Um, I mean, Alyssa Thomas isn't going to stretch the floor either. But on the other hand, it's like they can't really do anything else. Stephanie Dolson has not been able to stay on the floor, whether it be because of foul trouble or because teams just keep going at her on defense and she can't adjust. So you kind of have to put two bigs out there. This is not a good matchup for Gabby Williams either. Not at the four, at least. Not at the four, no, because Alyssa Thomas is, is just going to put her in the goal every single time. We, we've seen that over and over again. Gabby Williams has her strengths at the four. She has her weaknesses at the four. But I think in this one, she's going to want to come off the bench as like, a, as like a defensive spark on the wing. So, yes, I would expect to see Ruthie Hebert and Cheyenne Parker as the starting bigs. Um, like, it's not ideal, but for Chicago, what else can you really do? Yeah, no, I think it's their only choice unless you wanted to go with like the Parker Dolson combination. Um, surprisingly, I was, you know, Hebert has started five of the last six games for the Sky, and I was kind of expecting, you know, even though those are heavy starter minutes that she's playing, you know, minutes with the rest of the good players for the Chicago Sky, I was kind of expecting her numbers to not be that impressive in terms of the on off metrics, but they've been really good with her on the floor and really bad with her off the floor. And I'm not sure how much of that you know, lines up with Courtney Vandersloot, but it was surprising that, you know, they just, you know, for a rookie big, even one that's been really effective on offense, uh, that they haven't gotten killed out there with, with her out there. Well, I mean, she can't be much worse defensively than Dolson, right? Yeah, I mean, that's... And, and, and offensively, she's very, very good at what she does. Yeah. And that's roll to the rim, get high percentage shots, finish high percentage shots. So, I mean, like I said, it's not ideal, but at this point in the season, this guy have to go with it, you know? Ezra Stevens being out, really, really unfortunate because we've been talking about her on the show as like she's not a really great defender, maybe one-on-one, but she is a playmaker. And you can't – like the length and activity out there, I think you're really seeing a lack of it right now. And then just the depth. You know, I mean, Chicago is getting in late in these games, and they're just gassed. So I think you got to go with the Rook. I think yeah, you I mean, they're, go they're playing like six and a half players pretty much. Like Gabby it's Williams is getting ridiculous minutes off the bench and like no one else is really breaking double digits for them. It's ridiculous. Um, okay. That, that brings me to something else I want to talk about uh, before we kind of get into like the numbers and everything like that. You know, Courtney Vandersloot, 31 minutes per game. The Chicago Sky have an 81.6 offensive rating when Sloot is not out there. That is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the worst you'll see. Yeah. How, how many minutes can salute give them and and how they survive the rest of those minutes is going to be a huge determining factor I think in this game you know she only played about not I shouldn't say only but she played 32 and a half minutes in their second round loss against Vegas last season and best I could tell her career high for at least a regulation playoff game was 36 minutes back in game three of the 2014 WNBA finals as a 25 year old so you know is she a player you know she's she's only like in her early thirties, you know, it's not like she's an advanced player, but like how much can she give you from a minute standpoint and like how on earth do they survive those minutes without her? I don't know. Well, they haven't survived, but that's been the story of the season thus far. Like Sydney Colson hasn't been able to give them anything, which is, has been pretty disappointing. I don't know. A, if she's... a signing we both liked. Yeah, we both liked it. I mean, uh, to be fair, like she, she did come down with COVID, I believe. And although I think she was asymptomatic, like just just the time getting back into basketball shape and you know maybe her conditioning is fine that's fair totally fair but you gotta you gotta adjust and the sky have not been able to adjust whether it's been point gabby whether it's been ellie quigley giving Slute a couple possessions at the point not ideal again um it's been the story of the season and i think you just gotta give you gotta say salute like it's like i said it's winter go home this is what you've been playing for um Wish we could have gotten that top four seed because this, for this exact reason, but we didn't. So got to give 35 or 36 minutes. You have yeah, to. Ho- hopefully they can get her up to 36. And, because there's, there's, there's no, like, there's just it's such a glaring disadvantage. I mean, and, that's, and folks, that's not just on-off noise either. I mean, you can see 
at the it's sky. It's very office. evident watching watching the so game. So obvious. Um, so yeah, this is you know where the absence of uh, Diamond to Shields, of course, hurts uh, as well. Not mm-hmm. that she's a point guard, but you know someone who can just kind of get you some some freebies a, as a transition player. Uh, you know, we talked about how, uh, and we can kind of get into it now. Um, we talked about you know in the off season how how much of a monster this team was in terms of transition effectiveness. You know, Diamond Shields was the number one player just in terms of total volume. She was a transition offense within herself. The Sky this season are, are ninth in transition frequency offensively yeah. and against a, a, a Sun team in this matchup that's slowing, allowing the lowest transition frequency in the league. So, you know, when Chicago has the ball, I guess this is just going to be a half-court affair. Like, do you think that is going to work in Chicago's favor? I mean, the Sun are a pretty st- uh, they're they're a pretty stout defensive team in the half court, right? I'm I don't know. That's that's one thing I did also see is that this guy are like ninth or tenth. Maybe my page hasn't updated yet, but in transition frequency, that's really disappointed me because they've been a pretty good transition team when they've been able to get out and run. But missing the shields and you know I don't think uh, Ellie Quigley has been as good you know with those wing threes in transition either. Just missing that. Because Kalia Copper had an amazing season. She is also a very good transition player. But if you're lacking one of her or DeShields, it just takes so much pressure off these opposing teams because that's what the sky came in as a strength. That was one of their strengths coming in. You had Gabby Williams, you had Diamond DeShields, you had Kalia Copper, and you had Courtney Vanessuit pushing the ball up. And that hasn't really been as much of a thing this season. So if the sky, I think the sky, they're going to have some problems if they're running to Connecticut in the half court defensively, because Alyssa Thomas is really, really, really good defensively at the four, especially in a matchup like this, where like, she's not really going to get punished by larger players, you know? And you you got like Bonner out there. We assume Jasmine Thomas is going to be ready because they rested her with the plantar fasciitis. We assume she's going to be back out there. We assume Brian January is going to be back out there. That's a tough half court defensive team, Stephen. Yeah, so that, that brings me to kind of what I wanted to ask you as a player who knows the the Chicago Sky backcourt very well. If you are Connecticut, you got Courtney Vandersloot, you got uh, Allie Quigley. How are you kind of assigning those guards, uh, ta- ta- uh, excuse me, Thomas and January to kind of match up? Hmm. Well, I think... I think I'd put January on Vanderson. I, I I don't know. That that's a good question. Um, who do you think the better on-ball defender is? We actually went it, over this recently. Yeah, we we talked about it recently. You know, I think um, they have very similar skill sets, and I think at at this point, in my opinion, Thomas is just kind of slightly better at, at all the things that Brian January is really good at. Um, you know, I uh, despite kind of what I thought might be the case uh, in the off season when we had this conversation. You know, Courtney Vandersloot's the head of the snake. Like, she's what oh, makes yeah. the offense go. It's been the, – the numbers, I think, haven't really told the, um, the tale as much uh, as, you know, the eye test, I think, has. Like, Allie Quigley has just been kind of a different player than she was last year just in terms of her overall offensive impact. And I think a lot of that has to do with Steph Dolson missing a lot of time because mm-hmm. those two players, like, on and off-ball chemistry was just amazing to get uh, Quigley some really, really great looks. Um, so I, I think Jasmine Thomas is the player I have a little bit more faith in defensively, and I would throw her on Vandersloot and let Brian January do kind of the the dirty work of running around those screens and trying to keep up with with Quigley uh, off the ball. Well, plus, I mean, now that you mention it, if if Jasmine Thomas is suffering from plantar fasciitis, I wouldn't want her running around all those screens, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's going to be plenty of on-ball screens with, with yeah. uh, Vandersloot, so... Uh, it's a it's a tough one either way, and you know maybe the best bet is to just kind of mix it up and give uh, these players some different looks over the course of the game. But um, well, they have to because yeah. you know when there's when Jasmine Thomas, you got to have one of Jasmine Thomas and Brian January on the floor at all times, right? Yeah, sure, ideally, uh, and hopefully they'll both be able to give you really heavy minutes. I don't think Natisha Heideman can quite hang defensively, and um, you know Charles, I think. In, in the last matchup between uh, Connecticut and Chicago, Charles did a really, really good job, in my opinion, on Quigley. You know, she got caught on screens a few times, but um, she... Just the length. Yeah, uh, and, you know, the activity, kind of fighting around those screens. Um, but offensively, you know, it's still a little bit of a problem, but I would, you know, with Holmes out and 
the uh, oft discussed on this podcast, Kalina Mosqueda Lewis not being very good. You know, Charles is probably going to be the first player off the bench, I would assume. Wow, what a season. <laughs> if you said that going into the season, I'd be like, oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you have Sky offense, uh, Chicago fourth in offense, Connecticut fourth in defense. What, what do you think? Um, well, Sky is turnover prone, you said. Yeah, let's, let's get into kind of the, the numbers here a little bit. You know, they definitely have a, a turnover prone offense. I actually kind of thought that it would increase over the course of the season, but in this recent stretch, um, they've been turning it over a little bit less, which is surprising. So the third highest turnover rate in in the W this year. And, of course, you know, uh, Connecticut with Bonner and uh, Alyssa Thomas, you know, two of the preeminent transition players in the league, just in terms of volume, if, if nothing else. Uh, you know, they're going to turn those turnovers into offense on the other end. So Chicago is really going to have to kind of limit those turnovers and, Connecticut's a team that really gives up, as we were saying with Phoenix, a team that gives up a ton of free throws. So Chicago's not really a team that gets there too often. But I think, um, if nothing else, Cheyenne Parker can probably get some some good opportunities going to the line. Gabby Williams, with her athleticism going downhill, can probably get there too. Um, you know, Quigley and Vandersloot, I expect, could probably get to the line a few times each. Um, but Chicago, the number one Offense overall in pick and roll offense, no surprise there. Fourth in frequency, yeah. number one in efficiency from the roller. And I think this is where they're really going to have to um, attack uh, the Connecticut Sun. You know, Bree Jones has had um, a far better season than, than I personally anticipated. She's had some really nice moments defending uh, on the block. You know, her, her post-up numbers aren't amazing, but I think she's definitely better down there than she is as a, a pick and roll defender. Um, and Parker, Dolson, and Hebert are all at least in the 80th percentile as role players. So I would make uh, Bree Jones defend in space as often as possible. And really, uh, if Parker is kind of up to the task, just run hard to the rim each and every time. And as often as it'll work, just keep going to it. Yeah, agreed on all counts. I mean, you have here, uh, you'd rather see if you're this guy, uh, Parker rolling rather than posting up. I totally agree. Although Parker has been really, really good as a post-up player this season. Bree Jones is not a pick and roll defender. So you got to go at your, if I'm a, if I'm a coach, which I'm not, thank God. Uh, if I'm a coach, I want my players exploiting the opponent's defensive weaknesses as much as possible for Connecticut. That's pick and roll defense with the roller, right? So you put Bree Jones in the pick and roll or mom premier in the pick and roll. You know, I mean, she's, she's, she's active. She's athletic. She's long, but she's also a rookie. Yeah. The awareness <laughs> isn't there yet. Yeah. The awareness just isn't there yet. Uh, the mechanics aren't there either. So, I think you can do some different things. In fact, I think this is a, is a matchup in which Steph Dolson could see the floor more than, more than usual, because like, it's not like Bree Jones is going to be running rim to rim that often. Um, you, you're, you're fighting just size with size down there. And she is a still a pick and pop option. And as you said, if she can hang out there long enough where her screening and her passing ability can get quickly some open looks. I mean, I think you have to do that as much as you can, but and can, I, can I just jump in real quick uh, yeah, before of course, we kind of move on of from Dolson? Like this, Dolson uh, has been a disaster defensively this season, of course, but like this is not a Connecticut Sun offense that's going to like put her in a ton of pick and rolls and really punish her for being out there. Like this is the worst pick and roll team in the league, particularly from the guard position scoring from their, their pick and roll ball handlers. So right. uh, as you're saying, I, I definitely think there's an opportunity for Dolson to steal some minutes in, in a season where she's kind of really struggled. In the, sure, because you could just you could just play drop coverage, right? Because neither January nor Thomas are going to shoot the three coming off the screen. There's no real weak side three-point shooting, aside from maybe Bonner. But I, yeah. it, it's, it's a matchup that, that, that Dolson should be able to stay on the floor for an, enough time. I don't yeah, know. I, I, I'm not I, as worried about it as I would be against another team. We'll put it that way. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, and, but to kind of build off what I was saying with Chicago running and pick and rolls and really going to the roller, uh, you know, I think they'll have success with the ball handlers as well. You know, they were only fourth in scoring. I say only, but, you know, that's still top third. But they were fourth in scoring efficiency from the ball handler. But Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley, you know, the two players that should be running the pick and rolls and, and have the most volume, they're the 85th and 95th percentile respectively. So, you know, their overall numbers, Chicago's overall numbers were really driven down by Copper as the 38th percentile, you know, Gabby Williams, fourth percentile, uh, and Diamond DeShields, who obviously won't be playing, 
in the first percentile, second worst in the entire league as a pick and roll scorer. So, you know, between Parker and Dolson and Hebert rolling hard to the basket and, and Vanderquigs, as they are so affectionately known, uh, <laughs> running the actual pick and rolls, like they should be able to get some decent looks um, in, in those opportunities. I hope so, because defensively, I am not optimistic. Um, it's been a... It's been many years since I could say I've, I've been optimistic about the sky and defense. And just with, with, the, with the turnovers, like uh, Alyssa Thomas and Dewan Bonner just really frightened me. Yeah, and, um, you know, Chicago, we had mentioned last week, not a team with like a ton of uh, floor spacing, like off, off the ball shooting outside yeah. of Quigley that's really going to scare you. And Connecticut is the number one defense in the league defending spot-ups. So that's driven largely by... Thomas uh, and Bree Jones, who, you know, those two players probably won't be getting too many spot-up opportunities defensively in this game. But Bree on January, um, the 99th percentile defending spot-ups. So I guess if there is anyone you want kind of um, keeping tag tabs on Allie Quigley off ball, you know, it's Bree on January. Um, so how are you feeling about Kalea Copper offensively going against Dewana Bonner? Mm. I mean, I think my confidence in Kalia has really increased a lot since the start of the season, as it should have. She's really taken that extra leap, becoming not just an athlete, but just a, a well-rounded scorer. However, I mean, you have in your notes here, uh, she hasn't really been that efficient lately. She's made one three-pointer in her last five games. Oof. You said what what has slowed her down. That slowed her down. You know, yeah, just sure. the three-point shot hasn't been there. And, I mean, she was shooting 40% from three for a while. She's not that, – that's, that's pretty unsustainable for her, I think. She's got to get out in transition again. Like, this is, this is the thing for her and for the Shields and for most of this guy, honestly. Um, if she can get those easy buckets in transition, then that's the, the proverbial the, – the, the basket gets wide as the ocean or whatever. Then she gets more confident in her jumper. Um, she has been really good at attacking the rim, I feel like, with those really acrobatic finishes. But at the same time, I don't think she's going to be able to get many of those against Connecticut because uh, unless you get Bree Jones really far away from the hoop, she's pretty much paint-bound defensively. And with Alyssa Thomas being such a good help defender with all the length on the perimeter with Bonner, um, I don't know. I, there are better matchups for Copper, I think. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think Bonner is, is a pretty tough one for her to go so against. Long, I mean, you know? if she's able to uh, make some noise off the ball, like Bonner is not – she wants to kind of shade away from her assignment on the weak side and, and give you maybe a little bit more space than, than you should. So if she can get those that three-point shot back, which she's been missing the last few games, uh, and just to give you the numbers, 58.8% uh, true shooting in 13 games in August and 48% uh, true shooting through five games this month. So, so September has been a little bit of a slog for copper, um, you know, for Connecticut, you know, kind of just copper getting her own offense in a one-on-one -on -one setting. You know, I, I like Dewana Bonner's chances pretty good, but like I said, if, if copper is able to kind of get it going off the ball in, in more of a, a catch and shoot role, you know, that'll be a huge difference maker, obviously. So I uh, want to move to the other side of the ball. Let's do it. Cool. So the sun uh, offense, Pardon me, ninth in offense for the season for Connecticut, uh, eighth in defense for the Chicago Sky, um, and uh, Connecticut, a top four team getting to the line. Sky kind of middle of the pack. You know, Connecticut doesn't shoot very well when they do get there, uh, uh, but the Sky, you know, kind of average uh, surrendering free throw attempt rates. And, um, you know, Connecticut is also a very strong offensive rebounding team. Um, since the Azra Stevens injury, which has led to more Ruthie Hebert and, and maybe more importantly for this category, more Gabby Williams at the four, Chicago is allowing uh, a 30% offensive rebound rate, which is the third highest in that time. So is this something for uh, Chicago that, that's a concern for you as, as someone who roots for this team? Absolutely, it's a concern. Um, I, I think... I think free throws are actually more of a concern for me. Um, the Sky, they were actually able to, well, let's see here. The, 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 the game in which the Sky won, they shot more free throws in the sun. They shot 11 more free throws, which was the difference in the game. Uh, the game that they lost, Connecticut shot seven more free throws. That's worrisome to me because, you know, like I said, without Azari Stevens on the floor, 
it just gets so the, the floor just gets so much more open up, even against an offense. Like there's so little margin for error. If you put Gabby Williams at the four, like I said earlier, like Alyssa Thomas is going to have a field day. And we talk about Kalia Copper versus Dewana Bonner. I think the inverse is also a problem because Bonner does have, as you like to call it, the foul seeking behavior. And if the sky aren't disciplined, I could see Bonner racking up like 10 to 12 free throws in this game. So yeah, it's this guy need to be like, I hate to sound like a, like a meatball coach, but they got to have their physicality because if, if Connecticut is able to throw the proverbial first punch and control the physicality of the game, I think it's going to be a problem for Chicago. Um, Does that, does that sound right? Yeah, no, I think what you were saying, uh, particularly about, you know, Bonner being able to leverage her, uh, her moves, let's call them to get to the free throw line. um, You know, we think so much of, of kind of Alyssa Thomas, like bowling her way to the free throw line and, you know, usually shooting around 50% when she gets there, but Bonner actually is a good free throw shooter and, and gets to there a ton as well. So, um, you know, on kind of a, a related note, Connecticut is number two in terms of just their total number, like their per- percentage of points coming from points in the paint and the sky are allowing the third highest points in the paint per 100 possessions. So, you know, down low, whether it's Bonner, Thomas, uh, Bree Jones, you know, you know, this team is going to not really shoot the three and try to get as much as they can uh, inside the inside the paint, whether it's in the half court or in transition. Uh, but but in transition, yeah. you know, the sky kind of allow a lot of transition opportunities tied for um, allowing the highest frequency of transition opportunities. Uh, Connecticut is only seventh in, in frequency on offense, which is probably lower than you think for, for this team. But Alyssa Thomas is third overall in transition possessions behind just Arike and Kelsey Mitchell and Bonner's also in the top 15 for, for total possessions. And I would expect these two to, you know, if not go the full 40, like, I mean, Thomas probably will go the full 40. Yeah. Being honest, and Bonner will probably play 38 minutes. Like these two players are going to play a ton of minutes in this game in, in a one game, you know, winner takes all situation. These, two players that played 40 minutes like in the regular season this year like Kurt Miller's not afraid to to keep these uh two players out there so if they can keep their wind with them and they're getting stops like they're going to to run against a team that allows a lot of transition opportunities yeah and, and like I said earlier um Alyssa Thomas really really frightens me in, in transition especially against in, in this matchup uh maybe at the start of the year I would have been more comfortable going against the sun in a running game because the sky had the depth and the sun didn't, but now the tables have turned and now the sky don't have the depth and the sun. Well, maybe they don't have that much depth either, but they've at least got functional depth, right? Like, as we said in the Phoenix versus Washington matchup, they have the high end star power with Thomas and Bonner. Um, but for the sky with everything running through Vandersloot, ah, there a lot needs to go right for Chicago as, as far as neutralizing this, this sun transition offense and Kelsey Mitchell second in the league in, in transition opportunity look at that so Bree Jones uh for this season you know I talked to before how she's just been much better offensively than than I could have ever imagined in the 100 percentile as a post-up player offensively how are you feeling about her being able to get those like good seals that she's been getting this season um you know against whether it be Parker or Dolson uh you know I don't expect her to see a ton of matchup time against Hebert but um, you know, Parker and Dolson have been pretty fine in terms of defending post-ups. Uh, do you see that as an advantage for Bree Jones? Well, it was an advantage uh, the last time the two teams matched up, particularly on the glass. Bree Jones yeah. actually had five offensive rebounds in their last matchup, which was I, – I, I, I don't recall the entire game. It's, it's kind of hazy for me. But uh, that, was a big, that was a big one. Both her and Alyssa Thomas actually five offensive rebounds. But if Bree Jones – it's actually not the post-up scoring. It's just the – just the presence down there because I don't think Chicago's bigs can really move Bree Jones off the block. Cause she's got, she's so strong. She's got that low center of gravity and Chicago doesn't really have any, any bruisers down there. If, if, if that's, if that's a good term. Um, I don't know. I, it's maybe not the post-ups offensively, but it's just, like I said, her presence. Um, if she doesn't, she, she's going to get the seal, right? So if, if she's not posting up or if she's not getting the ball on post-ups, she's still sealing Chicago's bigs, which maybe allows someone like Alyssa Thomas or Dewana Bauer to get all the way to the rim. And that's just as bad for Chicago. 
like you said, I, I wouldn't expect Brianna Jones to get many post-up possessions because like this, this being uh, the magnitude of this game, I don't think you can go to Bree Jones that often. But I think it is a problem. And But this is also where I said I, I think Stephanie Dolson could, could get some time out there because she's not a player who's easy to move either. And defensively, there are worse matchups for her than Bree Jones. So, Yeah, and Dolson has struggled as a post-defender uh, in the past, but I feel like that's more so than anything just because of her wingspan, not necessarily yeah. because of her, her strength. And Bree Jones is not exactly soaring off the floor. Let's <laughs> She's a, a little bit more of a ground-bound center. Uh, two ground-bound, two, a very, uh, very ground-bound matchup. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, for sure. But, you know, I think Dolson probably can, can hang a little bit better, as you were saying, in this matchup defensively than, than some other ones. So how are you feeling? Hmm. I haven't been feeling great about this team for a couple of weeks now, just because the depth has been gutted. You know, I mean, they, like I said, they just seem really gassed at the end of games. Um, whereas Connecticut has been on the upswing, but like there are, there are matchups in this game that, that favor, you know, like there, there are some, some parts of this game that really favor the sky. And there are some parts of this game that really favor the sun. I think this is going to be a close one. You know, I mean, both the mat, both the times they played each other in the regular season, can't believe it's over already, man. Both the times they played each other in regular season, they were close. Um, they could have gone either way both times. Had a real, lot of close games last year too. They, yeah, I think that's this, true. This guy had that one blowout early in the season, but yeah, that's true too. Um, I don't know. There, I'd rather play the Sun than I would the Mercury. I would rather play the Mystics than I would the Sun. Okay, so that's fair. Yeah, you 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 seem pretty confident though. I mean, Chicago can definitely win this game. Um, I, I definitely would not say I'm, I'm overconfident. Like, I, I think uh, Connecticut can win this game. Um, you know, one thing I would say is we kind of alluded to it earlier, like Gabby Williams at the four is not going to work in this matchup. Like no. Alyssa Thomas is, as we said, probably going the full 40. Gabby Williams, uh, eighth percentile defending post-ups. Like Alyssa Thomas is not an amazing post scorer, but she will absolutely put Gabby Williams in the goal. Um, so, you know, I, I think at this point in the season, Connecticut probably is the slightly better team. Like the Sky overall have a negative 0.4 net rating in the nine games they've played since losing Azra Stevens. Connecticut has a point, I'm, I'm sorry, a 2.0 net rating um, since getting Brian January back from injury, including uh, missing some additional time since then, Jasmine Thomas being in and out of the lineup. So... I mean, obviously, like, this kind of goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Like, if, if Thomas's plantar fasciitis flares up and she has to leave this game early, like, this team is completely toast. Um, that's really going to open things up for, for one of Vandersluter or Quigley. But, um, you know, the guards in Connecticut are going to have to hit some jump shots. Like, this is a team where you could really kind of pack the paint <laughs> defensively yeah. against them. You know, this uh, – it's almost become, you know, a punchline how um, inept this team is from behind the arc. Um, but that's, I guess that's not really their game this year. And, you know, but they are going to have to hit a couple of them, you know, maybe Heidemann hits a couple of threes or, or something, but something's going to have to happen from behind the line from, from a couple of the, the guards that they have here. Um, you know, I expect both of these teams to play a very, very short rotation uh, only because they don't really have a choice. They have no uh, choice. Yeah. Um, but I do, I guess I slightly expect Connecticut to win this game because uh, they are trending a little bit more in a, a positive direction and the sky have really just been kind of really struggling. I think it's more so about the sky struggles really than it has been Connecticut. Really yeah. That good of a team. Like they just, the sky seems to be like shaken up a little bit. They're just, they just crawled toward the playoffs. You yeah. know, it was, it's just been so bad since the shields and Stevens left. And it's all, like I said, it's about the depth. Uh, do you think, well, did we talk about Brian January or no? Cause I thought you said we were going to, cause I have some thoughts about that. Oh, please go ahead. Well, actually, we kind of talked about this in our last episode, too, but I think Brienne January has been, I agree with you, She's her impact has gone beyond the box score because, one, she she provides a veteran backup point guard presence that the Sun didn't have. Two, she provides another very good defender in the backcourt. And three, she's a capable three-point shooter. Even if you, like, no, they're not going to hit that many threes. No, they're, they're not going to attempt that many threes. But even if you have just one player, who can either be that trailer or the, or like from the wing, that's a lot better than nothing. And if Brianne January can hit a couple three pointers, 
that like could be the determining factor in this game, you know? Teams are not going to ignore Bria in January like they ignore Bria Holmes. You know, no, I mean? exactly, like, exactly. And there's there's another thing, like if Bria Holmes, she's out for the season, right? She's out, she's done. She's out, yeah. Tournament is out, yeah. And that's that's the thing. If what's that you always say? Like, even if you're not hitting the three, if they're still respecting you out there, it's you're still making an impact, right? Exactly. And I think okay. that definitely goes uh that, that applies to uh pre January. Yeah. I would say so, especially against this team. Like you're, she's the only person you gotta really worry about out there. So that's that's still an impact. Um, I mean, Jasmine Thomas. I think like she'll if she has time to. This is very anecdotal, but it seems like the difference in her shooting is like if she can really kind of load up and and take it and really, you know, it's a wide open shot. She's pretty good at them, and and if it's a little bit more contested, it almost has no chance of going in. Um, I would still take my chances. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm, I'm fully prepared to be wrong about that. Jasmine Thomas go five for six from three. I'm ready to be wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, two. Uh, one other thing I want to say, like two two great coaches. I I'm really looking forward to kind of if there are any uh, big adjustments in game. You know what what these coaches kind of pull out. Um, you know two two teams that run some really nice uh, like out of bounds plays and, and ATOs. So uh, it's going to be a really good coaching matchup. Um, what 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 would those uh, adjustments look like? Like what what are you thinking of? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just, you know, um, I'm, I'm very interested to see if, uh, I, I don't really think they can maybe get away with this with Parker on the floor, but I, I'm wondering if Connecticut, we see any. Um, Alyssa Thomas like, at the five? Yeah, Alyssa Thomas at the five. And, you know, maybe you can't quite, I, well, you have Charles. I think I'm, you I'm could like, get away with it, actually. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, Thomas is a bull. You know, she's, she's pretty strong. So I, I think Parker can probably give her a couple uh, buckets down there, but it might be worth it anyway to, to go for it and, and take the ball. You know, if, if you're posting up Cheyenne Parker, that means Courtney Vandersloot doesn't have the ball and, and Allie Quigley right. doesn't have the ball. So exactly. maybe, you know, maybe you almost tempt them to do it by, by doing that. So, and that is a thing. Like you, you can bait teams into doing something that like you don't want them to do or that you yeah, want for them sure. to do. So you want, you know, they, they kind of overcorrect in, in attacking a mismatch or right, a perceived right, right. mismatch. So, right. Good point. All right. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Um, look for Alyssa Thomas at the five. Uh, anything else you have no, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it um you know these are uh two two average teams and one of them <laughs> yes hooray for mediocrity uh yeah but yeah that's it's what the the sixth seed versus the seventh seed that's that's what you get and uh they move on to face i really need another bracket in front of me well, this it, there's reseeding so we don't know it depends that's on true the, the washington Phoenix that's very game. true they will move on to face a team that is likely better than them. But, you know, one thing I'll say, two teams that I think could absolutely win in the next round too. Uh, you know, these two teams that have just the, the first round buyer, you know, um, you know, LA is okay. Minnesota is okay. Um, but the sun had some pretty close games against uh, Minnesota and, and LA as well. So. And the sky almost won a second round game last year, right? Uh, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> I did that to myself. Okay. Um, with that, I think we are finished for the night. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening to our playoff preview. We got some good content in there for uh, some, some sub subjectivity there, but uh, yeah, be sure to be tuned into the playoffs on Tuesday night. First off is going to be the sky and the sun and then the Mercury and the mystics. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter at double down WNBA or on our personal accounts at Nemchuk E or at Trinkwald. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play. We are on Spotify. So any of the above will do. If you want to listen, you can drop a nice comment, leave a five-star review if you want. If not, that's okay too. Um, Steven, any parting thoughts? Nah, man. It was fun. Look forward to Tuesday. Always fun. Always looking forward to Tuesday. All right. Take it easy, everybody.